It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen, if you're interested in passive real estate investing, but aren't sure how or where to get started, our passive investing guide walks you through the entire process from understanding the benefits to performing the due diligence. Download your copy today at twosmartassets.com and start taking action. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, and today our guest is Jonathan Nichols. Jonathan is a real estate investor local to the DFW Metroplex. He began his real estate investing career after having worked for almost 10 years in the aerospace engineering industry as a propulsion engineer, where he analyzed and integrated turboshaft engines on helicopter platforms. Jonathan and his wife, Paula, began investing in 2018 and have undertaken numerous different types of projects before forming their multifamily investing company, Apogee Capital, in 2020. On the GP side, his past real estate projects include a 75-unit apartment complex in College Station, Texas, a 100-unit complex in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and an 8-unit apartment to short-term rental conversion in Arlington, Texas. Jonathan, it's great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, Danny. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Great way to kick off the weekend. Yeah, man. I know we got you here on a Friday, so uh, super excited about the show. Been waiting for this for a little while now. You know, we briefly touched on your background there, Jonathan, in the bio, but to kick this thing off, I want to make sure our listeners really know about you. So please share with us a little bit more about your background, how you got into real estate, and where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the the short story summarized is my wife and I, we got married a little over four years ago. Her name is Paula, and we both do real estate together. Um, and so Paula and I bought a small house when we got married, moved in and, you know, really excited about that, but really cared nothing or knew nothing about real estate. Well, one thing about me is that I'm a very avid reader. And one day I happened to pick up this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I know everyone's read. And it's probably jump-started about half of investors' careers. And so <laughs> I won't go into too much details about that, but I realized when I finished reading that book that we were missing something. And that there was like this whole other world that we needed to learn about. And so um, we just sort of dug in and started learning. Um, you know, we listened to bigger pockets and podcasts and read books and went to meetups and met people and um, just really began building that base of knowledge about real estate investing. And shortly after that, we bought a, a fourplex um, and actually moved to the fourplex. We house hacked it and renovated the entire building and then converted it to Airbnbs. Um, and the reason that we did that was when we bought it, you know, we had analyzed it and it was going to cash flow a couple hundred dollars a month or something like that. Pretty nominal amount of money when you consider the time, effort, and risk that goes into it, quite honestly. Um, but it's right across the street from the AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys play. Oh, wow. And so we just had this genius idea like, hey, what if we put it on Airbnb? And so we did that. It took off. Um, and it got to the point where we realized like, Hey, the amount that we're missing out on by not renting our unit is like more than a mortgage payment. And so we bought another house that needed renovated during COVID and did that, bought another house that we did Airbnb with. And then 
we started looking into the commercial world, which at the time, a couple of years ago, seemed very intimidating, um, but also exciting and, and promising. And so we begin to go eat dinner with folks in our real estate meetup who, you know, have done commercial transactions and talk to them and really found a, apartment investing to be a good fit for us. And so um, we did what any good investor should do and, you know, educated ourselves, joined a mentorship program, learned as much as we could, and then um, dived in. And so, as you mentioned, we've done a few different commercial projects now. Um, our syndication company is called Apogee Capital and kind of our vision is helping folks who want to invest in real estate to build a passively invest in quality multifamily real estate without having to have the time or experience that's necessary to be an active investor. So that's that's our vision for the company. And I think it's, you know, off to a great start. Yeah, I think that that's amazing. And I think it's, you know, it's great that you started, you know, with short-term rentals, basically. And I don't think that a lot of people start there, but to, to have you start there, I think that's a pretty interesting story. And then, you know, kind of now you're converting into, into the multifamily, the large multifamily space. I do have to ask though, you know, you said, you know, you kind of bought the the property, the fourplex uh, across the street from AT&T Stadium and your experience with the short-term rentals has gone very well. So why even explore multifamily if you guys are already crushing it in, in short-term rentals? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, really, it's the same. It's really the same reason that anyone goes from single family to multifamily. It's economies of scale um, and ability to impact others. And so what I mean by that is that short-term rental is a lot higher cash flow than just normal single family rentals, but it's also a lot more work. Um, you know, instead of having a new tenant every year, you have a new tenant every couple of days in your properties. Um, the standard that those tenants expect is much higher than what you have in single family rental. You have to be on top of maintenance, on top, on top of your hospitality. And quite honestly, to scale up in that, the only way to do it is to have a really strong team, which we have built and are still building. Um, and so it, it does well, but it's it's not as scalable as, as multifamily, quite mm -hmm. honestly. It's a great cash flow business. Um and so that's what I like about it is, you know, when you're in a hot market like Dallas, you can, you know, rent out your single family home and make $200 of cash flow a month, or you can rent out on Airbnb and probably make like 1200 a month. And so, um, you know, and, and it's, it's also one of those things where if you have one, you might as well have five or 10, because right. the amount of additional work it takes to go from one to five is a fraction of what it takes just to do that first one. And so, um, we, we have one long-term rental still, but basically we do all short-term rental, um, and multifamily. Those are our, our two niches. So, yeah, that's awesome. And so I want to bring up something that you kind of mentioned there, uh, earlier, and we know, you know, you, you're on the active side in terms of investing, you know, with multifamily and obviously doing the short-term rentals, but you've also invested passively as well. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious about your short-term experience. You know, you said it takes some work, but, um, you know, where do the short-term rentals fall on the spectrum of being passive or active? I know it takes some work, but is that something you're very active in or have you set it up to basically be kind of operate on its own and allow you to be more passive going forward? Yeah. So initially it's extremely active, much more than a long-term rental. Um, you have to be very committed to make it work and you have to know what you're doing. Um, when you look at kind of the laws and like specifically here in DFW, most of the cities have very particular laws and permits and inspections and things. And you have to understand that really well. Um, you also have to be very good at hospitality and working with people or have someone on your team who is good at that. Uh, because people have high expectations and there's also some people that you just cannot make them happy no matter what. And 
anyone who has owned, you know, a restaurant or hotel, any kind of hospitality business or worked in one of those fields um, knows how that goes. And so um, I, on the spectrum, would say that Airbnb is on the very far right, short-term rentals on the very far right of active investing and, um, you know, passive investing in multifamily is very far on the left as far as, you know, being passive investing. Now that said, like everything in real estate, there are systems and processes that you can build to reduce that work. And over time, we have built those. So for example, my wife and I were on a vacation for three weeks here um, in September this year. And I think I worked on the Airbnb business a total of two hours during that three wow. weeks. So so it is possible with the right team to be able to get the breaks that you need and stuff. But, um, but, it, but it takes work to get there. Yeah. And I appreciate you going into that detail about that. Cause I know a lot of people are maybe looking at the short-term side and thinking, Oh, you know, how much work this is going to be. And they're not really sure. Right. But I think the thing is, is, you know, you need to really pay attention to whether you want to be active or passive in real estate investing and what aligns with you as an investor. So sounds like you guys have had that figured out. And I do have a question. So, uh, you know, you guys are kind of moving into these large multifamily properties on the active side, right? So are, with that being said, if you're going to kind of is that your main focus now, or are you still going to be trying to accumulate short-term rentals as well yeah. as you scale with the multifamily? Yeah, I mean, multifamilies are our main focus for sure. Um, like I said, the, the things I like about multifamily is ability to scale. Um, I like the ability to have a professional property manager look over the property. Um, when you start out in real estate, you kind of have this mindset that, oh, I either am or can be the best at everything. And it's just <laughs> not the truth. Um, I think that as far as a individual landlord, I do a pretty good job. Um, but the fact is I'm not going to be as good as a property manager who does this 40 hours a week for the past 20 years. And so, um, you know, having professional management is a huge game changer. Um, the ability to add value, um, to an asset whose value is based on income is tremendous and something that, you know, you don't typically have with the short-term rental residential stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's what we're pursuing with the majority of our efforts. Now that said, uh, because it takes time to, you know, kind of get the, the momentum in that business, the short-term rentals have been a very nice cash flow substitute. I just left my W2 a month ago. And so, um, having that short-term rental business is really helpful, um, when you're trying to, you know, subsidize a, a lost income. Hey man, congratulations. You know, you got to leave your W2 job. That's a, that's yeah. pretty amazing. So congratulations on yeah. that, man. Love to hear that. Love that you're out there crushing real estate, man. So, you know, we kind of moved into the transition to the multifamily thing. Let's, let's just start, let's just go back to that, man. Um, you know, you're on the active side, multifamily, you're getting deals. You've done a number of deals already on the active side. Let's talk about that first deal though. Can you tell us a little sure. about, you know, what that looked like, where it was and, you know, how you were able to get that done? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's really interesting story. Actually, my, in my opinion, my first deal actually never happened. And so um, I had been looking for properties, I don't know, probably eight or nine months before we closed the one up in, in Tulsa, the hundred unit. And we were, we were co-GPs on that deal um, with some great partners. But prior to that, the, the previous fall, um, we had a deal under contract in Oklahoma city that was a great property and, you know, had some great value potential and stuff in it. But long story short, the financials that were given to us when we went to go do our financial due diligence in the property were inaccurate and, um, not, not, not like a little bit inaccurate, you know, where you can kind of just, 
hope for the best, like way off on a number of different things. And so um, ultimately we had to, you know, say, Hey, we'd still like the property, but you know, a lower price based on this difference. And unfortunately that wasn't accepted. And so we lost that deal, but we learned a tremendous amount going through that. Um, and then two of the folks that we were going to partner with on that deal actually were the ones who found the deal up in Tulsa. And so, um, you know, we were able to, to do a project with them later on, which I was super excited about and, um, it went through. And so, yeah, I mean, really getting started in commercial real estate or anything real estate is a lot about persistence. Um, and so that was definitely our story. So and I love that and you bring up persistence, right? Because it's about sticking with it because it's not always going to go the way that you want, right? You're always going to have some speed bumps or some hiccups or something that happened. Like you said, with the Oklahoma City deal, maybe some things weren't expected, but it's the name of the game, right? You have to be persistent and move on. Uh, one thing I do talk with a lot of investors about is, is you know, their ability to be able to find partners and, you know, find good partners. And it sounds like you've teamed up with some really great people. Um, what did that look like for you going from, you know, being a beginner to being able to partner with some some really good people and take down a deal? How were you able to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, a lot of people who are brand new to real estate ask that question now that, you know, I'm, let's say one step ahead of that. Sure. And the answer that I always give them is that it's it's all about what value can you bring to the team? Um, and I think as people in general, we tend to sometimes overestimate or not clearly think about what it is we're bringing to a team. So let me give you an example. Um, I'm also an engineer. Um, that's my background. And um, so I assumed going in the commercial world that my value would be analyzing deals, that I was going to go find a deal and be able to do this complicated math on it that was going to you know, be the value that I brought to a team. And what I learned through a period of time is that every good sponsor knows how to analyze a deal that it's, <laughs> it's really, uh, obviously some people are, are better than others at it, but it's, it's not that hard to analyze a deal. And so the value that you bring by running numbers on a deal is not super high. Um, doesn't mean that it's worthless, but if you're banking on that to pull you into a deal, um, it may take you a while to get there. And so, um, one thing that does bring a lot of value to a team is raising money. Um, sponsors, particularly ones that are completing their first, second, third, maybe fourth deals, um, the raise is an extremely challenging part of that component. And so one thing I always encourage people to do if they're like, I don't know what value I can bring is say, hey, get to the point where you know you can raise $500,000. And at that point, you have something of value to a sponsor, you know, and there, there's obviously other ways you can bring value to you could bring a deal. But in this market, your chances of being able to analyze and pull the trigger on a deal um, quick enough and, and even finding it in the first place is um, remote, I guess I would say. Yeah. And I love that you bring that up, especially about the raising capital part, right? Because it's such a valuable piece of the puzzle, right? And, you know, I have an engineering background as well. And, you know, going diving into spreadsheets, that's immediately what I thought to getting in this space, like, oh, this is the thing that I'm going to be most interested in and, you know, be able to bring value. But just like you said, I mean, really, if, you, if you've been doing this for any amount of time, anybody's going to be able to analyze a deal, right? So um, for the most part, um, so I appreciate you bringing that up for sure. I do want to ask about your your role in raising capital for that first deal or kind of what that was like for you, right? So a lot of people go into their first deal thinking, oh, I'm going to try to raise some money. Sometimes it goes well, depending on your network. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, how were you able to, you know, what was that initial starting point for you to actually start raising capital for that, for that deal? 
Yeah, that's a great question. That's a big part of where my wife jumps in the story. So I had done more of the deal analyzing and stuff. And my wife had done a little bit more of the money raising side of things. Although I had talked to a lot of people too in our network. Um, I would say that anytime you go in your first raise, you really don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be super conservative. If you want kind of a rule of thumb, everyone who's told you like, hey, I'm interested in investing, everyone who's on your investor list, about maybe 10% of those people are going to invest in your deal. It's going to be low. And so you need a big list is what that comes down to. And so, um, you know, you can do the math. If each person is, you know, $50,000 is what they're bringing and you need 10 of those people to hit 500,000, then you're probably needing 100 people on your list that you're going to be legitimately talking to. And um, so it becomes a numbers game. And, that, you know, that's true of anything in real estate or, or marketing. But um, one thing that really helped us was our background. You know, we had already had a level of success in the short-term rental world. And so we went to talk to investors, which for most people is either friends, family, or professional contacts. Um, starting out, you know, they, they had at least a level of confidence that we knew what we were talking about because we had already done real estate projects. And so that's definitely very helpful, but you know, when it comes down to it, that first race is important because it's a reputation thing. You know, you're promising a sponsor that you're going to bring such and such amount of money. And I'll tell you that for us, you know, we promised 500,000 and, you know, about we worked really hard for the better part of two or three weeks. And we were about that 400,000 mark and just pushed and pushed and pushed. And we just couldn't get over that hump. And um, fortunately, we had a really strong team. So we knew we were going to have enough money. It was just about proving to ourselves that we could sure. do it, right? So we kept pushing. And then literally in the last week, we hit another 300,000 and brought the raise up to 700. Um, so, I mean, it's back to that persistence thing. Like, it sounds so cliche, but you know, people time and time again in real estate will tell you like, it's all about that persistence, all about that. I'm not going to quit kind of mentality. That's, that's what will get you to the finish line. Love to hear that. And so, so with that first deal, you know, you've done the raise and you've kind of built that reputation and you've built that confidence with other investors. Have you found in the subsequent deals that that's actually helped you, uh, you know, raise capital or take down deals? Very much. So there was definitely a, there was definitely a FOMO that came with some of our 90 investors that didn't invest after that deal because it took off and did fabulous. And so, um, yeah, the deal that we just closed last week, we had a few of those people who jumped in. We also had other people who were so excited about being in the first deal that they jumped in this deal. So it's definitely a momentum game. Um, it really helps most with your confidence, you know, when you can go. So for me, I'm still a deal finder. I look for deals. I've underwritten like 150 deals in the last year or so. I look at a lot of deals all the time. I enjoy it. Um, but it takes a long time to find that unicorn deal. And, um, when you can go to a broker and say, Hey, like we closed, you know, even if it's with a group of partners, we closed such and such deal you know, two months ago or whatever. And this was the raise and this is what we brought. Um, you know, it really tells them, you know, who you are and it really validates that other people have seen value in, in your ability to close on a deal. And so, um, yes, it's extremely helpful. You know, a lot of people talk about like the law of the first deal. Um, it's a big Michael Block thing, law of the first deal. You know, once you get the first one done, you get that momentum. And, and what you don't realize is it's not like a magic switch turns on. It's, it's really all within you. It's who you become going through that first deal. 
Um, but that's what makes it cool is that, you know, you grow through it. So, yeah, love to hear that, man. And I appreciate you going into detail about that. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the first deal and then subsequent deals getting better and kind of what you're focusing on. I want to talk about Apogee Capital. Can you tell us a little more about, you know, what your focus is with the company and what this looks like going forward for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So Apogee Capital, um, the name Apogee, is, as you mentioned in my bio, my background is aerospace engineering. And um, in, in aerospace engineering, when you take a class about basically orbital mechanics, which is like satellites and rockets and stuff orbiting other bodies in space, right? And when you're in an orbit, the point that's like the furthest out in the orbit is referred to as the apogee. Well, if you look up apogee in the dictionary, it's basically defined as the pinnacle or like climax of something. And so apogee capital is like this dual meaning name that ties uh, my past career with what our current purpose and vision is, which is to help people reach their financial potential. Um, basically, I would say 50% of my why came from seeing people in my family, um, people that I worked with who they've worked hard their whole life. They've saved well, thrown money in their 401k, and they get to be 60 years old, 65 years old, and they can't retire comfortably. They've done everything right. They follow the rules, but they're not there. And what it comes down to is they missed out on good investments. And so Apogee Capital is about helping people reach their potential, their financial potential through quality investing in multifamily real estate. And so that's really what it's all about. You know, I mean, we are, we could go do deals on our own in the single family world. We could do, you know, JV deals or something, but syndication allows you to have a bigger impact um, on investors. And so that's, that's what I love about it. Love what you guys are doing. And I, I completely agree, right? These, these being able to invest passively in syndications is a game changer, really. And that's what I, when I found it, that's exactly what I thought. Like, man, I wish I would have found this a long time ago because I would have been, you know, putting my money away in smart investments. So, you know, you guys are focused on multifamily. Is there any specific markets you guys are really like targeting uh, as you move forward? Yeah, absolutely. So Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I was born in Oklahoma. I've lived in Texas most of my life. I know both of those states very well. Um, Texas is an incredible state for appreciation, um, for, you know, ability to add value to properties. Oklahoma is a solid cash flow state. Um, it's got the, you know, a strong economy, um, but it also has some really great cash flow deals there. And so, yeah, those are our two markets. I, I don't really analyze anything out and the passive investments I've done have also both been in Texas and Oklahoma. Um, and so the, that's, those are the markets I know, and that's what I love. Not saying we would never go anywhere else, but that's where we're focused. Love, love to hear that, man. Those are great markets. I'm very familiar with uh, those markets as well, especially Oklahoma, because that is where I'm from. Uh, and I spent a lot of time in Texas as well. So awesome. uh, great, great places, man. I do have one other question before we get out of here, though. And I meant to ask this earlier, but, um, you know, you've been an LP on some of these deals. You've invested passively. Did you invest in those deals prior to becoming active or is that kind of just been, you know, during the path of that? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of them, yes, I did. Um, I did a cash out refi on a residential property I had and was like, Hey, you know, I'm still trying to find my first deal as a GP, but might as well just throw some money in as an LP and say that I'm a commercial real estate investor. Right. And so that's what we did. Invested in a really great property in Austin. Um, it's taken off and done tremendous. And then we have another one that we recently invested in, um, in Oklahoma city. And it's a 
big value add project, but the returns on it are enormous. And so, you know, it's interesting because I, I feel like I have to say this, when you go into a real estate meetup and you raise your hand and say, hey, I'm new here, I want to invest in real estate. You know, people will talk to you about wholesaling, they'll talk to you about flipping, um, they'll talk to you about uh, buy and hold. No one talks to you about passive investing. And yet I personally believe it's likely the best choice for most people. Um, most people, they don't want to get a call from a tenant on the weekend and they don't want to have to go fix things or um, have to stress about running numbers. And if those numbers are accurate and they don't want to have to worry about property taxes. And, you know, there really ought to be one person in every RIA that just pulls the new people aside and says, hey, the first decision you have to make is, do you want to be active or do you want to be passive? And this is what that question means. Because, you know, for us, we love being active. I like being busy. It's my full-time business now. It's not just investing, it's a business. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Passive investing is amazing. You throw your money in and you read the reports every quarter. And if you've done a good job on, you know, picking a sponsor, you don't worry, you don't stay up at night and you don't do anything. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, of passive investing. Right there with you, Jonathan. I'm a big fan as well, ever since I found out about passive investing. And I couldn't agree more about, you know, people educating themselves and whether they're looking to be active or passive, it's huge, right? You don't want to get into something and then realize that you've been off a little more than you could chew when really you should yeah. be more passive in it. So love hearing that, man. Jonathan, it's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed getting to learn more about you and your story. Before we get out of here, uh, tell us more about anything else you have going on, uh, your company, maybe uh, any free resources or anything that you have. Yeah, absolutely. So we just closed an awesome deal, like I mentioned, in College Station, Texas last week. And uh, before you know it, I'm sure we'll find another one. And so our mission, like I mentioned, is to help people passively invest. Um, we have a website, which is www.apogeemfc, like multifamilycapital.com. If you go to that website, we have a free ebook that's all about passive investing and talks a lot about why you would want to passively invest. And so if you're someone who said, hey, I'm listening to this podcast because I'm interested in real estate. I know what do I, I know I want to invest, but I just don't know what that looks like for me. I really encourage you to learn about passive investing, you know, download the ebook, take a read. And, um, you know, if I can be of help to you, throw some time on, on the Calendly and would love to chat to with anyone that's interested in investing. That's awesome, Jonathan. Love to hear that. I highly encourage all of our listeners to go check that out uh, and give that a look for sure. Connect with Jonathan. Uh, man, it's been great having you on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks, Danny. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.